Good morning. Not a real enthusiastic response for such a beautiful day. Thank you. Beautiful day that the Lord has made for us. Let's go over our announcements. One through four, we pretty much know by heart. Five, uh, we are, again, going to have evening service tonight at 6 p.m. Please bring drinks and a dish to pass. Okay, April special occasions. Naomi Luke. What was that special occasion, Naomi Luke? She's not answering. Already a young lady. <laughs> Belated happy birthday to you. Do we have any uh, special notes or uh, comments or prayer requests this morning that we can relate to the, the body? Okay, be there none. Our script, go ahead. Ken Lewis and Jerry came home for about a week. Okay. And then I think today or yesterday they were going to head back down to, um, to uh, South Carolina. South Carolina. North Carolina. One of them Carolina. So. And Gary's to have heart surgery when? Yeah, I, I'm not positive. Still, I think it's the second or the third of May, but I'm not sure. Second or third of May. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's continue to keep Gary in prayer for. Uh, uh, surgery to be done well. Any other messages or concerns? Okay. Scripture for meditation this morning is taken from Second Chronicles, chapter thirty-six, verses fifteen through twenty-one. That's page seven thirty in your pew Bible.
Would you stand with us as we begin our service with opening prayer? Brother Tom Roth, would you please lead us this morning? Thank you, brother. Please remain standing. Will you take your brown hymnal this morning and turn to number 358? 358 in the brown.
sorry. Good morning. No, I, someone was pointing at you. Well, I was just turning back a few pages, and uh, we haven't sung in a while. Uh, 353, a shelter in the time of storm. Mm -hmm. um, good old one. Yes, ma'am. 40. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, 
each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream on the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in, this, in his master's house. Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on that vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes and squeezed them into the Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will be put... You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you, you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well to you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation to Joseph, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. On the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. Three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you off, will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away at your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again had put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph, and he forgot him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. We take your brown hymnal again and turn to number 563. Five six three.
Our scripture text this morning is Genesis 40. Genesis 40. Now, the other week we did an Easter message, but the last time we were in the study of the patriarchs, we learned that the Midianite merchants sold Joseph on the Egyptian market, and Pharaoh's captain of the guard, Potiphar, bought him, and Joseph became the house manager for Potiphar's estate. Joseph was extremely successful in this position. Why? The scripture says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes, in his eyes, and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Genesis thirty-nine verses two and following. But we learn that Potiphar's wife was an immoral woman, and she solicited Joseph for sexual gratification day in and day out she kept harping on him he refused he refused he even did all he could do to avoid being in her presence however on one day she actually grabbed hold of him physically and he fled and as he did joseph's tunic remained in her hands, which she used to fabricate the lie that Joseph had attempted to assault her. When Potiphar returned from his business trip, he believed the lie that his wife told him, and he imprisoned Joseph in the dungeon reserved for Pharaoh's prisoners, chapter 39, verse 20. As we open our study today, this is exactly where we find Joseph. Near as I can figure out, this prison was located in Potiphar's estate. In 40 and verse 3, the location is identified as, I'm reading now, the house of the captain of the guard. Well, who's that? That's Potiphar. See chapter 39, verse 1. It's the same prison where Joseph was confined. So back to prison he goes because of a lie that was told about him. As we come to our study today, let us ask for the Lord to enable. Thank you for the word of God, Lord, and thank you for these Old Testament histories. One of the things we're learning about them is that nothing new under the sun. Human nature is the same as it's been century after century. Wickedness has prospered. Evil men, evil women, and the righteous are sometimes accused of doing evil when they didn't do anything. Their their integrity was intact, but they were slandered nonetheless. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to learn from these studies that we're not unique in this world that we live in. We also are misrepresented many times and slandered. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to see from Joseph's life 
how to handle some of this. To the praise and glory of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. We're looking this morning at the fact that Joseph was imprisoned in Pharaoh's dungeon. But in that state, he was favorably treated by the prison warden. Look back at the close of chapter 39, verse 20 and following. Let me read it for you. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. That's Genesis 39, verses 20 and following. What a testimony. What? Just think about that. He's in a foreign country. This is an Egyptian situation. And yet he's getting this appraisal with, with regard to his conduct as an attendant in Potiphar's house. Where have we read something like this before? Well... Let me read it for you, verse 5 and 6. From the time he, Potiphar, put him, Joseph, in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field, so he left in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. And he, with him in charge, he did not concern himself with any, anything except the food that he ate. Chapter 39, verse 5 and verse 6. What a powerful testimony that is. And a powerful lesson. James Allen, a British author and philosopher, stated, and let me quote it, Circumstances do not make the man. They reveal the man. Wow, what a good statement. Circumstances do not make the man. They reveal the man or what kind of a man he is. But long before Alan, God stated it this way. Whereas he, any person thinks in his heart, so is he. So is he. Proverbs 23, verse 7. In our age of relativity and the assumption that truth is fluid, that it changes with the times or with the circumstances, the notion has arisen that a person's character will change based on the circumstances in which he finds himself. We're seeing a lot of this in the political arena these days where 
what one claimed as his or her position years ago has now changed in the present day. Now, I think we should grant a person the right to change their minds on issues dating back into their past. We do the same. We change our minds. We change our minds based on new information that we didn't have before. New discoveries that have proved previous assumptions to be false. So, of course, we're going to change our mind. But my point goes deeper. I'm arguing for character, for who and what a person is by nature, regardless of the surrounding circumstances. And what we see in Joseph is a man whose character, whose sense of right and wrong, true and false, does not change because of circumstances. This being so, Joseph in Pharaoh's prison is the same in conduct and behavior as Joseph in Potiphar's house. His moral and spiritual integrity as Potiphar's household steward is not abandoned now that he finds himself a prisoner in Pharaoh's dungeon. What I'm saying is that the needle on his moral compass is still pointing north. He's still the man of a character. He's still a man of integrity. We could say it this way. His circumstances have changed. That's really true. But Joseph himself has not changed. He is still the same God-fearing, obedient subject to the Lord's will wherever he finds himself. And so it should not surprise us to read 39 verse 21. The Lord was with him. Yes. He showed him kindness. He granted him favor. In the eyes of the prison warden. Yes, of course. It's the same man. Yet who of us would argue that his circumstances had not changed? No, they had changed radically. There is, however, the philosophy of our day, which assumes that one's position in life and living must change with the times. This is why our Constitution is under attack by the liberal agenda. The actor Matt Damien, whose movies include the use of firearms for self-defense or to protect the interests of the United States against those who would try to destroy us, was quoted by the news media in Australia that he wished the United States could and would do as the Australians have done, namely, confiscate all firearms from the people. End quote. Yeah, that's the first step to a totalitarian takeover of the country. 
It's a violation of the Second Amendment of our Constitution. One of the presidential candidates pledged, and I quote, I'm going to get the guns. I'm going to get the guns. Let us learn that Joseph was well-received, well-treated, well-promoted in Pharaoh's dungeon because he was the same man of character he was when he was in Potiphar's house. Oh yes, his circumstances, they changed, but he hasn't changed. He was not a chameleon who changes colors to blend into the surrounding environment. He did not put his finger into the air to measure which way the wind was blowing politically. The idea that he would want to go with the flow. Our country is literally being reduced to a third-rate nation because of political correctness. Which is nothing more than capitulation to the status quo. Thinking Christianly is not a hat we put on for Sunday morning services. We're not to set aside our reasoning powers for emotional decisions. Paul exhorts us Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. That good, pleasing, perfect will. Romans 12, verse 2. What's he saying? He says, you got a mind, but you need to have it transformed to think Christianly about things don't just go with the flow don't just follow the crowd secondly Joseph retained and used his ability faithfully to decipher God's revelations our text indicates that two court officials of Pharaoh were confined to the same prison as Joseph for some offense committed against the king. If you look in the text, you'll see their offenses are not named. In other words, all we are told is this. Pharaoh, I'm reading scripture, Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was confined. These two men were then assigned to Joseph for oversight. Some time passed, but in the course of time, both these officials had, verse 5, a dream on the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noted that both of these guys were 
dejected. The Hebrew word here is fretting. They're upset and they're disturbed. We would say they were down in the mouth. I mean, it's obvious. You just take a look at them. Something is wrong. Why? Verse 8, there is no one to interpret the dreams. In other words, we had dreams, and back in this day and age, they understood that having dreams like this, this is not fantasy. This is God speaking to them, but they don't know how to interpret the dreams. So they're frustrated. Not that they had a dream, but no one was around to help them understand it. I mean, think about it. It's like, it's like receiving a letter written in German from the German government with an official seal concerning a relative of yours residing over there, but you can't read German and you don't know anyone who does. Undoubtedly, you would be filled with much anxiety. Was this good news or bad news? Okay. I can't tell. Is there some emergency which requires immediate action or can the information wait? Again, I don't know. Why have I received this official letter? There's a seal on this from the government. I don't know. Looks pretty serious to me. What was Joseph's Response. Verse 8. Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dream. Now he's not saying he's God. But he is saying that God will give him the interpretation for them. Remember that Joseph himself had had dreams which offended his brothers because... They understood the interpretation correctly that Joseph was one day going to rule over them and they didn't much like that. Remember that story of the corn sheaves? Their sheaves bowed down to his sheaves and then there's the account of the sun, moon, and 11 stars. And again, those bowed down to Joseph and the brothers said, you mean to tell us that you're going to rule over us someday? I don't think so. And they were offended. By the way, they sold him into captivity because of that. But the meaning of the dreams of these two officials of Pharaoh, that wasn't so obvious. These dreams would require a divine insight, which Joseph possessed. Both dreams explained the future status of these two officials. The dream of Pharaoh's cupbearer depicted him crushing ripened grape into Pharaoh's cup and giving him the cup to drink. It was his job. He'd done that many, many times. Joseph interpreted it to mean, verse 13, within three days, and that stands for the three branches they saw in the dream, within three days, Pharaoh will lift your head that's a Hebraism, a Hebrew, a Hebrew uh, figure of speech. It means to restore you to your position. Lift your head. 
you're in the gloomy gus. Don't be a gloomy gus. In three days, your circumstances are going to change radically. If you want a text on uh, that Hebraism, it's 2 Kings 25-27. Within three days, you will be restored to your position. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh. Get me out of this prison. That was an honorable request. Joseph is saying, I'm interpreting your dream. The least you can do is tell Pharaoh about me down here. Get me out of prison. It's uplifting and encouraging reading of the cupbearer's dream. And he only had three days to see to it coming true. Well, the baker was eavesdropping, so he thought his dream would also be good news. After all, there was similarity between the two dreams. Three branches for the cupbearer is parallel to three baskets in the baker's dream. But it was the dissimilarity which was unnerving. What? The baskets contained Danish pastries of delight for Pharaoh, but before the baker could present them to Pharaoh, verse 17, birds were eating them out of the basket on his head. Verse 13. Interpretation, verse 19. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat away your flesh. Not exactly what he was expecting to hear. What a shocker for the baker. There is to be no pleasant outcome from for his dream. Now keep in mind... What Joseph explained in verse 8. Interpretations belong to God. So we could say it this way. You know when I'm giving you the interpretation. I want you to understand. The interpretation is from God. So don't shoot the messenger. Joseph is only relating what God has shown him concerning these two Egyptian officials. And his is not to wonder why, his is but to do or die. And die is not an exaggeration. No, listen to it from God himself. If anyone does not listen to my words, that the prophet speaks... In my name, I myself will call him to account. But a prophet who presumably speaks in my name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must be put to death. Ooh. 
you may say to yourself, well, how can we know when a message has not been given by the Lord? (coughs) Answer, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, (coughs) that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously and do not be afraid of him. That's Deuteronomy 18, verse 19 and following. Observe here that a true prophet is known by two tests. Here they are. Test number one. His prophecy has to come true. We would say, oh, duh. That's obvious, right? You'd be surprised. We have a bunch of people in our day claiming to be prophets. And they make all kinds of predictions, none of which come true. And people follow them anyway. That's the first test. Second test. His prophecy must not be given in the name of other gods. There's another violation. Behind both of these tests is the idea that God does not lie. And secondly, only God knows and declares the future. So with these two tests, many a man has been proven to be a false liar. Not a prophet. In the days of Isaiah, God states his controversy with Israel. Here it is. These are rebellious people. God is talking about Israel. These are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And they say to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us, tell us, Pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Oh boy. Goes on. Leave this way. Get off this path. Stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Boy, doesn't that say it all. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you have rejected this message and relied on oppression and you depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked, bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so merciless mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have None of it. 
you would have none of it. Isaiah 30, verse 9 and follow. These are hearers gone amok. They're listening, but they're not listening. And they're actually sitting there with their fingers to stop up their ears because they don't want to hear certain things that God has to say to them. Tell us pleasant things, prophesy illusions. Unfortunately, at a time, at times, it is the prophets, the preachers, who have gone amok. In the days of Jeremiah, we read, So do not listen to your prophets. What? Do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your interpreters of dreams, your mediums, or your sorcerers who tell you, Well, you will not serve the king of Babylon. They prophesy lies to you that will only serve to remove you far from your lands. I will banish you and you will perish. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who say to you, You will not serve the king of Babylon, for they are prophesying lies to you. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. They are prophesying lies in my name. Therefore I will banish you, and you will perish, both you and the prophets who prophesy to you. Jeremiah 27, verse 9 and 4. God isn't going to put up with this. We have a lot of false prophets in our day. And very little discernment among people. What was the problem with these prophets? Well, they didn't want to be the bearers of bad news, so they just made things up affirming what the people wanted to hear. They were saying to the people, you will not serve the king of Babylon. The prophecies were coming from Isaiah and so forth. You know, the Babylonians are going to come in here and they're going to scoop you up and they're going to take you back to their country and you're going to be subservient to the Babylonian kings. And the false prophets, ah, that's not going to happen. Come on, lighten up a little bit here. Jeremiah says, you know, they are prophesying lies to you. And God is saying, I have not sent them. I have not sent them. They are prophesying lies in my name. Oh boy. See, that's the caveat. If we can tack God's name to this, we'll get a hearing from the people. But if we don't, they're they're not going to listen to us. So let's say, let's put it this way. Thus saith the Lord. And then they would give their little story. 
What was the problem with these prophets? Well, they didn't want to be the bearers of bad news, so they just made things up, affirming what the people wanted to hear. You will not serve the king of Babylon. Oh, that's good. We, boy, we were worried about that one. God's true prophets and preachers are not permitted what they may or may not say in God's name. As we look at Joseph, he had a message of joy for the cupbearer and a message of sorrow for the baker. And he couldn't pick and choose between a prophecy of exquisite sherry wine and a prophecy of unleavened bread and bitter herbs. He had to preach it both. Both messages were from God. One was a sweet message. The other was bitter. Brethren, all that God declares is not peaches and cream. It's not. Sometimes his message is one of warning or it is a message of admonition or it is correction, maybe even a statement of judgment. And we're wise not to chafe at these pronouncements because in the end, God has the best interests of his people in mind. A loving interest for the Bible affirms to us The Lord disciplines those that he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is he that is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and you're not true sons. Hebrews 12, verse 6 and 8 following. Boy, that gives you a different perspective, doesn't it? Let me read it again. If you are illegitimate and not true sons, if you do not undergo discipline. So Joseph gave a faithful deciphering of these two officials' dreams because he had to be faithful to God. So what do we find out? Well, Joseph's prophecies came true to the letter. Look at verse 20 and following. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials, and he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of the officials. And so they were taken out of prison, right? So they could come to the feast. Even the prisoners get to go to the feast. Okay. He restored the chief cupbearer in his position so that he could again put the cup into Pharaoh's hands and he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Genesis 40, verse 20 and 5. I think most of us like celebrating birthdays. 
if not for ourselves, certainly on behalf of others. Pharaoh had the wherewithal to throw a party on his own dime. Verse 20 says, he gave a feast for all his officials. This included the two officials that he had locked up in the dungeon. Wow. Even the condemned are entitled to one last meal. But there's a cruel hoax here as well. The baker, as well as the cupbearer, is invited to the feast. Each of these men were in what I might call the wait-and-see mode. Three days had passed since Joseph's interpretation of their dreams. What else might or might not come true? When the cupbearer was restored to his former position, there had to be great relief in his heart. But what about the baker? Could he have thought, well, why would I be invited to Pharaoh's birthday party if the king intended to do me harm? Hmm. Well, if he thought that, it was Satan's cruel hoax. The enemy of our souls schemes to convince us as sinners that in the end, any malicious behavior of life and conduct towards the king of kings will just be forgiven. It'll just be erased in the end. Because after all, God loves everybody, right? Well, this is the message of false teachers in our day. Yes, the Bible states that God is love, First John 4, verse 9. But such love from God is defined by Jesus himself. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me, yeah, will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him and show myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Oh, really? There's a test. And the implication, if he doesn't obey Jesus' teaching, he forfeits God's love. These words you hear are not my own, says Jesus. They belong to the Father who sent me. John 14, verse 21 and following. Or again in chapter 4, verse 16 and 19 of John. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God is in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 16 and following. So, if we claim to love God, but we're disobedient to God in every way we think and act in this life, then our claim is bogus. And God himself sees right through it. 
God is not in the business of loving rebels who continue to be rebels to his laws. Rebels, when we first hear the gospel, I would say yes. When we first hear the gospel. Rebels before faith comes and before repentance comes, yes. Rebels. But rebels after 10, 15 years of claiming Christ as Savior, still living our lives in defiance to the gospel call of holiness? Oh no. You're deluding yourself. Satan is there to help you believe the lie. Did we not hear Jesus' own words? Whoever has my commands and obeys them. He is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love him and show myself to him. John 14 verse 21. What then is God's disposition towards those who continue to sin in rebellion to his commands? Does he love them? Well, there is what we call common grace love. What's common grace love? Well, it's the love of God that sends rain and sun on the unbeliever's crops as well as the believer's crops. Yeah, that's and it's called love. It's the love of a caretaker, the caretaker of creation. Yes, but of those who reject Christ and refuse his command to repent... Jesus himself predicted the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But, uh uh-oh, there's a caveat here. But, whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. John 3, verse 35 and 36. Did you know that God has a wrath towards mankind? The Apostle Paul writes it this way. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Romans 1, verse 18. The psalmist writes, God is a just judge. God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 7, verse 11. Did you know that verse was in the Bible? So we would not like to hear negative words from God, but if they are true of you, if they're true of me, let God be true in ourselves, liars and self-deceived as we might be, that we may learn to repent and to seek God's forgiveness and love. Joseph, like God, told the truth, even though it was hurtful for the baker to receive it. It was a negative prophecy, but it came true. 
And then we note that Joseph in his plight in prison was utterly forgotten by the cupbearer. Oh boy. What had Joseph requested of the cupbearer? Verse 14. When all goes well with you, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Is that too much to ask? Notice that Joseph is not asking for help from the cupbearer if Joseph's prophecy of release fails to come true. He's not asking the cupbearer to lie for him or paint a rosy picture that's untrue. No, he just wants the cupbearer to acknowledge that Joseph's word is viable and that there is no way he had done anything deserving of being put in a dungeon. Verse 15. Was this too much to ask? Not at all. But look what happened. Verse 23. The cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Wow. Next chapter, chapter 41, verse 1. Two full years had passed until Pharaoh had a dream that sparked the memory of the cupbearer concerning Joseph. Two years. More. However many he was already in prison for. Have you ever done something noteworthy, but no one took note of it? In fact, they completely forgot about it. True, we do not do the things that we do for God so that we have applause. But Joseph wasn't looking for our for acknowledgement. He just wanted the injustice of his jail term To be rectified. His freedom restored. And his bad record is sponged from the books. What happened to the cupbearer's promise? Well, he didn't remember it. In fact, he forgot Joseph. Joseph had to remain in that hell hole another two years with no justice. All because of this guy. Oh, 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 I forgot. Yeah, well. You're safe. You're out. You're going about your business. And where's God in all of this, by the way? Has God stopped showing Joseph kindness and granting him favor? Verse 21, Satan would like us to think so, as surely as he tried to break Job with all the trials that he sent into Job's life because of his righteousness. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, 
God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Hebrews 6 verse 10. Okay, then why does God delay? Why does Job, or for that matter Joseph, have to spend one more day suffering difficulty because of evil men? Let Peter answer. He writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it is refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 7. We're called upon by God not to forget his mercies, which the Bible affirms are new every morning. Things looked pretty gloomy for Joseph when Pharaoh's birthday party ended and the cupbearer was restored to his position. So he waited and he waited and he waited, but no release came for Joseph. He was a forgotten man. but not by God. Two more years passed, which taxed his patience, tested his faith. But the delay proved profitable as he continued to hone his skills as a leader of men. God was getting him ready to rule Egypt and to save the known world from starvation. Think about this. Here's this kid, now a little more than a teenager, a young adult. He is one day going to become Pharaoh of Egypt. What does he know about ruling people? Nothing. And so God puts him in a place where he has to care for Potiphar's estate initially, then in prison, the prison warden puts him in charge of all the prisoners. He's got to see to it that all of their needs are met. So the question comes, can you and I wait a few years to reach our full potential as servants of God? Are we quick to abdicate our fate because the clock on the wall has gone from hours to days to years 
And Lord, I'm still waiting. I'm wondering what you have for me. James puts it this way, be patient, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crops and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rain? You too, be patient. Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And as you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Namely, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. James 5, verse 7 and following. I don't know what went through Joseph's mind as he waited and waited and waited. And he kept thinking, the Lord's taking care of me. I'm still alive, but I'm in this dungeon. I don't know if I'm ever going to get out. I just have to trust him to see what happens. And he continued to pray and he continued to trust And he got placed in charge of the prisoners and so forth. And he began to learn how to manage men. And God was grooming him, getting him ready to become vice regent over all of Egypt. Sometimes, brethren, the Lord does that to us and for us. He knows we're not quite ready for any kind of leadership position but he needs leaders so he grooms us and he puts us in places where we have to learn and where we have to grow in our faith and where we have to grow in our skills in order to be leaders boy does our country need God honoring leaders if not in an official capacity at least in the church realize what God has given to us and how we are to function in society. So let us think about this. And poor Joseph, he went through a lot. I mean, we're not talking a few months. We're talking years here of preparation. Lord, I thank you that you put us through uh, the school of hard knocks. We could say it that way. It isn't always book learning. Sometimes the learning that we have to go through is just the practical everyday experience of life. Learning how to work with people, how to counsel with them, how to comfort them, how to pray for them, do the very things that Jesus himself did when he lived and walked upon this earth. You treated your disciples in a way that was loving and compassionate. 
And I pray that you will teach us how to do that as well. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for Joseph. What a model uh, believer he is. It doesn't seem that anything really disturbs him in the sense of knocking him off track. No, he remains true on course. He knows who he is, knows where he's headed, and he's trusting you. Boy, did he go through a lot. I pray that you will teach us the same thing. We thank you and praise you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Okay, I misplaced my bulletin. What's the closing hymn? 396 in Trinity.
Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. Praise you for the word. And we do need to be reformed in our thinking, changed in heart and mind, directed away from our sinful propensities, brought into the way of grace and love and peace. Thank you for Joseph's life. What an inspiration to all of us because he lived in a rough time in prison, out of prison, in favor with the king, out of favor with the king, on and on. Help us to realize that character is something that you give to us by your grace and circumstances may change but our character should be the same should be trustworthy loyal obedient to Christ in whose name we pray with thanksgiving Amen tonight at 6 is our meeting downstairs bring out drinks and a dish to pass Thank you.